Welcome to Coach House Talks. Okay, we're uh, at our Mind the Gap series. Um, we're going to try and look at what the church today or our responsibilities are today. Uh, how we mind the gap between Jesus walking this earth and Jesus' return again and what we as Jesus' representatives are supposed to be doing here. And so we'll look at a wide range of topics, um, things that will concern us when we turn on the news, things that we'll see around us in the world, and what is it as church, as Christians, as Bible-believing followers of Jesus, how do we make a difference in this world? which we find ourselves in. So that's what we're going to be doing. But first off, we need to kind of lay some ground rules because there's no good rushing off into this world if you don't know who you are. Would you agree? It's like anything, isn't it? If you don't know who you are, then your ground that you stood on is pretty rocky at the best of times. So we're going to look at our identity today. Now, my first sermon as pastor... <laughs> Back in January 2019, yeah, amazing, isn't it? It's gone so quick, and yet it feels like yesterday. My first sermon as pastor back in January 2019, and I remember it well, was a sermon I knew was important then, and it's equally as important today, especially as we navigate this world that looks as though it's spinning out of control outside our very windows and doors. And it's important because we are waiting for the return of Jesus. How we live as representatives of Jesus in this world, which is moving further and further away from the standards and the desires of God, day by day, minute by minute. God who created this world, I wonder what he's thinking. In a world where anything goes and lines are becoming increasingly blurred, our identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, is of paramount importance. I can't stress it enough. You need to know who you are in Christ in this world. Now, we've just spent a year looking at the big picture of the Bible Defining God's unchanging qualities and his dependability. Undeterred by changing environments and fallen man, God has remained steady, unchanging, and has never stopped loving you. And we also saw how man's fallen heart is one of deceit and rebellion against God. So there is no excuse, the Bible says, for our claiming our good works because we are not inherently good. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, remind us that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. What do our actions deserve? What do you think? 
Well, in the New Testament, it says that we deserve death and that everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. You see, the heart of man is known by God, all of our secret ways and our hidden desires. The only proclamation to make about this is that God has to judge the actions of the heart. But all is not without hope. And Jeremiah records the solution that God is going to offer. The solution that allows us as Christians, those who have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, to have full assurance. That's a massive word, that assurance. Full assurance and knowledge of God's forgiveness and blessing in our lives. Wow. He says this, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And he's still making good on that covenant, let me tell you. So whilst these promises are almost exclusively for the people of Israel and Judah, the extent of God's provision and mysterious plan extends to the entirety of mankind. The Apostle Paul spends the book of Romans explaining all of this in encompassing truth. Romans 3, verses 22 to 24. We are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are, and the context of this writing is that he's talking to Jew and Gentile, so no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, for everyone has sinned, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard, and yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. No wonder those guys can stand in prison and sing. Yes, these prison walls are holding me because of what I've done. But Jesus has set me free for eternity. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. As we all have a new and amazing identity. We are one in Jesus. All of us. We're unified. We're restored. We're brought back to a place of blessing. With a promise of eternity. In perfect relationship with our creator. This is one massive eternal reboot. That's what God's about here. Rebooting everything back to how he intended it to be. And we are amazingly included in that. What a gift of grace. But while we wait, there is a gap. There is a gap while we wait for Jesus' return. There is a gap while we wait for the fulfillment, the entirety of all God's promises. And our new series will look at how the church manages in this world whilst being not of it. And as Jamie would tell us, how we journey on the way to our destination. And I think that's a good way of looking at it. How do we journey through this life on our way to our promised destination? 
And it's vital to our journey that we know who we are. What identifies us as this helps us to overcome. As our enemy who prowls around looking for someone to devour will play with my emotions, your emotions. He'll play with your heart. He'll play with your mind in order to overwhelm you and provoke you to give up your joy. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what he's about. Is about wrecking your joy. And what's the joy? It's not a smile. It's not happiness. The joy is the joy of the assurance of knowing you have eternity with Jesus. Because that gives you a joy way beyond anything else. And Satan is out to devour you. To take away that joy. How do I know this? Well, I'm going to be personal with you. Last week, last Saturday, I was on my go, oh, I was going to Trenton Gardens to meet Josh and Tab and little Susanna. On the way, and I was driving there in the car with Mel, just me and Mel going, and on the way, about halfway there, Mel commented on my quietness. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe. I didn't think that I was being ignorant. I didn't think that I was not giving time to my wife. I didn't think that I was kind of not there. I was just totally and utterly self-absorbed and deeply troubled. You see, I'd had one of those attacks where I felt totally inadequate. I felt totally unequipped and not prepared for the Sunday to come. My self-doubt and my fears were totally paralyzing my mind and it passed to my heart. And even if I didn't know it, Mel recognized it. Strangely, because Mel had asked me the question, when we got to Trenton Gardens, we sat having a coffee and I just sat there thinking about what Mel had asked me. Why am I so quiet? So I had to kind of come to a conclusion. I had to kind of process that information. I had to think about the question that had been given to me. And on admitting, and on admitting this over a coffee that I felt kind of just inadequate, it helped my heart get a grip, just speaking it, just admitting it, just heading it up. I lifted my eyes. I thought about God's goodness to me. And, I, and it set my heart back on course. And it was almost instant. As it turns out, last weekend and the week to follow were a wonderful time encountering God's grace and presence. I spoke with Necka this morning. Necka said, oh, got to tell you, I was just filled with the Holy Spirit last Sunday in the service. Just. And I said, how do you know? How, do you, how is that different to any other Sunday for you? Because I always think that Necker is just out there and in, you know, away, <laughs> praising God. And, and she said, oh, no, no. It's like goosebumps all over. And I knew the presence of God. So what did we pray this morning? That we'd have more of that presence of God every Sunday when we worship together, when we seek God together, that God's presence would rest upon us. Why is that important? Because it reassures our hearts when we're troubled. 
I was reminded again last week that God works despite me. My job is to trust the process. What is God doing in my life? Why is he doing what he's doing in my life? Because he's doing it because he knows me better than I know myself. Following Jesus isn't about comfort and convenience. Sorry, folks. But it isn't. And don't let that phone call tell you anything different. (laughs) Following Jesus isn't about comfort and convenience. Picking up our cross and following Jesus is a commitment, regardless of how I feel. So I can't get up in the morning and go, hey, I feel great. I'm going to pick up my cross today and I'm going to bear it and I'll feel good about this. But I also can't just feel so bad that I think, you know, I can't be bothered today. There's a commitment here. And if you don't understand who you are, you will get slaughtered outside that door. We can't kind of paint this in pretty pictures, I'm afraid. This world is spinning out of control and Satan is out to devour those who belong to Jesus. To stop you, to rob you of your joy. It's my job, it's our job to help increase faith, to help make us stand firm in the face of all adversity. I was at an exhibition around 2007, which is the year that I became the youth leader here. And at the exhibition, I picked up some juggling balls which were emblazoned with the words, mind the gap. This one. There it is. All a bit crinkly now and faded, but... (laughs) I've just turned around and seen this. (laughs) That's very good. I never never know what the graphics are until they're up. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Mind the gap. They were advertising something on the London Underground. If you can, if you can see it, it uh, looks like the London Underground symbol. But it was the words that have stuck with me. I was at a very, very low ebb in my Christian life, as were a lot of people in this church. Having stayed at the coach house at 19 when I was about to leave and God told me specifically to stay because he had a reason for me to be here, At 19, I didn't walk out with a whole bunch of people who left this church. I stayed. In 2007, I was wondering, what on earth was that about? Why am I here? Why won't you let me go? All my friends are going. All the people I love are going. Why are you keeping me here, God? And in fact, my friends would say to me, why are you still at church? Why are you going to the coach house? It's not doing you any good whatsoever. And I'd say, well... If God was good enough to tell me to stay, then he's plenty big enough to tell me to go as well. And he's not telling me to go. So I'm sticking it out. I was convinced that God had spoken to me, telling me to stay, and that I had an important role to play. If you were to press me on it, I would, I would tell you that even at 19, I knew that one day I'd be leading this church. but I had a long way to go before that could happen. By the time 2007 came around, we were in the midst of confusing and frustrating times in this church, which showed no signs of recovering. 
The light in this darkness for me was my role with the youth. A speaker gave a message just after I picked up this juggling ball. Guess what he spoke on? Mind the gap. And I was just out there going, what? And he spoke about minding the gap. The gap between where you are now and what God is making you. And being content on that journey. Because God is a God of promise. That's why I wanted to just take a step back and let God speak to our hearts today because I don't know where any of you are on that journey of what God's promises to you are, where you feel you're at, whether you feel let down, whether you feel like you've not got to the point that God has made you or is bringing you. I had no idea what course life would take the ups and the downs, the twists and turns, but I was compelled by the absolute assurance that God is in control. And when you've got this deep-seated trust, then you can go through anything with joy and expectancy. This trust and this joy is founded on knowing our identity. Who is it that Christ makes me? 1 John 3 verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. By being children, that means that we are reinstated, we're forgiven, we've been given right standing before a holy God. And in Joshua's case, he gets his birthright back that he gave to Matthew. So we get our birthright back. The birthright we've walked away from in the Garden of Eden, we get it back. The birthright that we lost due to Adam's sin, given back to us by the triumph of Jesus. And this is reiterated throughout the New Testament. Because Jesus was the promise of the Old Testament. And now, his reality changed the entire relationship of believers with God. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. We're all one in Christ. They and we are to live in the light of our sonship and inheritance. And sonship doesn't exclude the ladies. Sonship means everybody. We have our birthright back, all of us. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are not like that. And the context of this is those who have rejected Jesus. You are not like those that have rejected Jesus, for you are a chosen people. You're royal priests. You're a holy nation. God's very own possession. Wow. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So how do we show others the goodness of God? Just by saying it? No. By living it. Every day. Whatever the circumstances that that day brings. This is the message of the New Testament. Most of the letters were written to Christians who were in fear of their lives from persecution. And what does the letter say? Stand firm, hold on to your faith, it's worth it. 
It doesn't say, go to church, have fun, live your life. The price has been paid for us, and I don't want us to forget how great the cost of that price was. But because it was done, because the price has been paid, it's been done in its entirety. There is nothing left for you to pay. And your relationship, even though we have a promise of eternity, is restored to you now. And it doesn't depend on how you feel. Church, it doesn't depend on how you feel. Jesus died for you, made everything right for you, whether you feel good, happy, or sad. You see, the promises of eternity are absolutely absolute. There's no going back on them. But so are the promises of kingdom life now, whilst we remain in the gap. It's the only way that we can navigate this journey. Know who you are in Christ and where you are heading to in eternity. Set your face there and live it out. Yeah, I've just condensed the whole of the New Testament into a tasty soundbite for you. And it's imperative that we learn to filter out the noise of this life. Last week, I was overcome by the noise of this life. The confusion of man's rejection of God and the delusion that man's ways are best. We see it all the time, don't we? Oh, man's made this huge advancement in this, that, or the other. And everything that that brings to us in this fallen world, which we shouldn't be surprised, shapes our cultures. We'll take God out and we'll put man in. We'll take God out, we'll put man in. We'll take God out, we'll put man in. And that's what you're faced with day after day after day after day. We filter out the noise and we learn to stand firm in the truth that's been given to us. The Bible shows us where man will head to if we're left to our own devices. And we should be reminded that we've been given this information so that we will not be deceived. Why is it important to read this? So you will know how not to be deceived. The culture of today's society hasn't suddenly taken a turn for the worst. What we are experiencing and what is yet to come is a culmination and outworking of layer upon layer of deception and erosion of God's truths over many, many years. You see, God brought order out of chaos. Right back in the beginning, spirit hovered over the seas, which the Jewish people would have seen as chaos, the waves and the might of the ocean. All the way through scripture, you'll see chaos as the waves of the sea. That's why Jesus calming the storm. Heaven, sea like glass. Yeah, do you get that picture? Not wavy, not stormy, brought into peace. God brought order out of chaos, but man seems to want to live in chaos. 
He wants to live without peace. He wants to live without hope in order to prove to himself that God is not required. And once again, we see the original deception at play. Did God really say that? Yes, he did. And we're fools if we think he didn't. Mind the gap then is not just about minding the gap as we wait for Jesus' return. It is also, as I learn my journey to becoming your pastor, it's learning to mind the gap between God's promises and their fulfillment in his timing. <coughs> Don't despair if you haven't seen God's promises that he's made to you work out yet. It does not mean that they're not going to happen because God is a God of promise. It doesn't mean he's forgotten. It simply means that you're learning the lessons you need to learn. You're being trained or simply that your ideas of what it looks like isn't what God's got in mind at all. And once we're able to understand the realities of God's promises, then our confidence relates to assurance which stirs action. When I feel overwhelmed or I feel low, or I'm struggling with self-doubt, and I do, okay? I will, Mel will tell you, I will wake up at night sometimes thinking, I just need to chuck this in. I need to do something when I feel like that. I need to change the view. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were taking a long trek to Jerusalem, which they had to do on so many occasions because that's where the temple was and that's where they went to worship. They had to take this long, trudging trek to Jerusalem. And they were reminded to lift up their eyes. Some of the psalms they would sing as they approached Jerusalem would urge the worshippers to look up to Jerusalem perched high on the hills. Psalm 121 is subtitled, A Song for Pilgrims Ascending going up to Jerusalem. And I'll read a little bit. Psalm 121, first two verses. I look up to the mountains. I look up towards Jerusalem. Does my help come from there? No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But Jerusalem is the aim of my journey. But that's not where the help is coming from. It comes from the Lord. But Jerusalem is the evidence, the evident reminder that is used to embolden their hearts. Be encouraged. Look up to the holy place because the holy place exists as a sure testament of God's promises through eternity for you. So be encouraged. Have good heart. Put energy back in the legs. Keep going. See, the action of looking up, that commitment to movement, brought about the increase of belief and faith. So when I'm struggling, I need to move. And what I've learned that in, is this. In movement, there is medicine. It changes my perspective. It moves me somewhere else. It brings me out from where I am into where I should be. When I know something's wrong, I have to do something. I can't just be defeated by my feelings. 
when the engine warning light is on in my car, it's not there to be ignored. It's there to tell me there's a problem. Get it sorted out by someone who can help. Or in the uh, example that you'll all laugh at me about, when my seatbelt light is dinging away, I need to put my seatbelt on. Knowing who we are sets our hearts and our minds on a straight path. We are looking up and beyond to where our final home is. This helps us not to focus on the here and now with all of its problems, but on the future that is promised to us. The promised future that allows us to shift the perspective on life and maneuver our thoughts and increase our faith. We are new creations. Do me a favor. Just look at each other and say to each other, you're a new creation. Because some of you don't look as though you believe it. Yeah, even in the shell we've got. Yeah, you're a new creation. Because that's what God says you are. And he's not messing around when he says that to you. It's not something we go, oh, that's nice to read. It's there for a reason. It's there to tell you, to let you know the truth of what God has achieved through Jesus. You are a new creation. Everything has been leveled, set back. You are in a place of relationship with the Lord now. But you've still got a whole load of promises to come. And you live in the light of those promises to come. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who belongs to Christ, I won't ask you to put your hand up. So if you know, if you belong to Christ, you know it, yeah? Okay, so this is for you. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Has become. Not becoming, has become a new person. The old life is gone. So your old life, which deserves death, sin, and punishment, is gone. And a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. He brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. What do we do in the gap? We reconcile people to God who has loved us. Knowing our identity raises us beyond ourselves and brings us into kingdom life now. And we've been given the task of changing the world. Jesus gave it to 12 disciples and those 12 disciples faithfully passed it on to you. Change the world. Change the world by the way you live, your attitude towards your neighbor, your attitude towards yourself. Because you are a new creation in this fallen world. And you're traveling through it on a way to a new world where you will reign forever and eternity, forever and eternity, forever and eternity, singing the praises of God who has brought you back into that place you do not deserve. That's what it's about. But we cannot survive in this world unless we know who we are. 
So I'll say it again. You are a new creation. Now. A new creation. Oh, that's brought a few smiles now. (laughs) But we need to take hold of that in our hearts. Because there are days when you won't feel like that. But does that mean you're not a new creation on the days when you don't feel like that? No. Scrap your feelings. They have nothing to do with it. The truth is, God says, I have paid the price. I have done it. It is finished. You are a new creation. End of. End of. Now look forward to inhabiting the new place I'm making for you. My new home that I'm making fit for you to live in because you're new and you're able to live there and you weren't able to live there before. So this is the gap we live in. And we need to choose to live it in this gap, in this life now, to our full potential that Christ has given us. And don't worry because you're on the way to reaching that potential. If you haven't walked into the promises that you know God has spoken to you in your life, don't despair. Don't cast it off and think this is never going to happen because it's not happened yet. You're just on the way. I was 19 when God told me to stay here and serve here. And I was 51 for something when I became your pastor. That was a big gap, let me tell you. But... It was a gap where God was doing an amazing, wonderful, fantastic work. And he continues to do it day by day. So mind the gap, folks, and be blessed. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.